For today's episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Alison Edward. Alison is one of our very first members. She's been running her multi-award-winning bookkeeping practice in the south of England since 2013. The Bookkeepers Alliance podcast, bringing you strategies and tactics to grow your business every week. Welcome to this week's episode of the Bookkeepers Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Chris McCulloch, and I want to thank you for joining me on today's podcast. If you've been a long time listener, then thank you so much. If you've just found the Bookkeepers Alliance podcast, then remember to hit the subscribe button in your podcast player so that we can remind you of future episodes when they become available. Welcome to the podcast, Alison. It's normally just me on my soapbox, so it's a great pleasure today to, to have you as my very first guest. If you don't mind, I, I wanted to start by talking about your life before you started bookkeeping. I remember at our, our first hilarious uh, retreat, you shared some unusual jobs that you had had over the years. Can you tell us a bit about them? Yeah, um, I've never had a career path in mind. Um, and a lot of what I ended up doing has actually been driven by the fact that my husband is in the Navy. So I always needed something that would be flexible and I could move. So I went into admin when I finished university. And over the years, I've worked in various places. I've been the PA to the head of news in a local TV station. I have done temping and covered for a blind audio typist in the bus station, typing letters to people who've asked for a refund on the return portion of their bus ticket. Um, as a student, I've worked in a jam factory, potting jam. Um, and I've sort of, you know, worked my way through mostly sort of admin-based roles. Um, sort of my final proper job before I ended up bookkeeping was um, for Orange in Bristol, where I was PA to the head of one of the departments. And that ended up I ended up doing events organising there as well. So it kind of played to my organising and slightly bossy tendencies that I could do that. Um, so, yeah, so I've take, kind of taken a sort of, you know, roundabout admin route. I've done other things on the side, like I was a special constable um, because I quite fancy joining the police. But again, it doesn't really fit when you've got to move because of your husband's work. So that's, you know, my career path has been driven by that, really. So, um, given that you were you're moving quite a bit, to your husband, you actually passed your IAB qualifications in quite a strange place, didn't you? Yeah, so I'd stumbled into bookkeeping prior to, um, in sort of 2008, when I was working for a friend. I was doing his admin, and like a lot of business owners, he was a nightmare when it came to finances. Brilliant at what he did, absolutely brilliant at it, but the financial side. So I sort of started helping out and discovered I liked it, and then in 2010, my husband got a posting to Washington, D.C. So I couldn't carry on working. And to be honest, I wanted to enjoy our time while we were there. I didn't want to be tied to work. So I decided to get qualified while I was there. So I took all my exams in the British Embassy in Washington, D.C. It's quite unusual. I, I think you're probably one of the, the only people who's ever done that, no doubt. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a very strange experience sat on your own in a room there. There were actually open university qualifications because they're a centre for it. So... Um, I could just sit in the room there by myself, do the exams. So given that your background was quite a lot of PA, what made you decide to make that move to bookkeeping? 
felt I was ready for a change. And foolishly, I thought I was going into something that would have exact answers um, because you're dealing with numbers. And you think, you know, when you do your training, a balance sheet has to balance and, you know, you're looking for those things. But I just discovered I quite enjoyed it. And it was initially I actually thought it might be a sort of hybrid between doing VA type admin for businesses and the bookkeeping. Um, but I discovered I liked doing the bookkeeping and actually there was a demand for it. But I mean, it was really only when we got back from the States in 2013, um, my husband was going off to sea. My kids were sort of school age. Well, one was starting secondary school, one was in primary. And I actually just wanted something. I thought, oh, if I can get a few hours a month that will, you know, keep me amused, I can fit, fit it in around the kids, earn a bit of money. Great. I had no sort of ambitions to really turn it into a sort of, grown-up business one of it. it was more going to be sort of just you know a few hours here or there that kind of would keep me sort of my brain ticking over use the skills I've learned and here we are I noticed actually while I was doing a bit of research for today because I did a bit of research that you also have a certificate in dressmaking was that a, an alternative path you thought of pursuing <laughs> no that's um a friend of mine we have a habit of picking up hobbies so we thought we would, she was moving to Cyprus with the military with her husband and shopping in Cyprus isn't great. So we both decided, I used to make curtains and things, but I couldn't make clothes. So it was, and my mum used to. So I thought I'll try. I do have sort of a tendency to, although I always say I'm not very creative. I've done cake making. I make, I have made wedding cakes for people. I did my sister's wedding cake last summer um, from things. So it was more just a, you know, a, a, a adult education hobby, which, turned into a bit of a laugh we're, we're on the lookout for our next hobby we've done flower arranging uh, we think it might be golf next though you'd said that when you started your practice both your, your girls were still at school and your husband yeah. was was traveling quite a lot so away for long periods of time yeah how did you how did you juggle starting a practice with almost being being a single parent as well um I think it's that as I don't know. It's I don't really know is the honest answer because it's just kind of what my life has always been. You know, Gavin, if he's on a ship, he goes away for up to eight months at a time. Or we've had it where he's living somewhere else Monday to Friday. So, you know, our lives are just kind of set up that way. Um, and I just worked it round school hours. You know, the kids. I mean, the great thing about doing what we do, especially with the cloud, is you can do it anywhere and you don't need to be in an office and you can do it any time of day if you want to so <clears throat> it it just kind of worked I didn't do any real networking or anything like that that took me away and I've always been conscious particularly the networking that's at six o'clock in the morning and things you know a I'm not a morning person so you wouldn't get the best out of me if I turned up at 6 30 but also it's just never going to happen because I've got to do the school run um and it's always been I'm not sort of sort of made a conscious you know plan to make it fit around family that's just the way it's evolved because that's what my life has always been and it's what it's always been important to me I've never since I had the kids I haven't worked full-time um my job at Orange I was lucky that they actually when I went back after my first batch of maternity leave they actually promoted me and turned the job into a three-day job so I could fit it in round nursery 
and you have got quite a successful business now and you've built that round about your lifestyle. And actually, this is one of the things I was talking about recently on the podcast is that there's so many people out there telling you that you need to have a huge team of people and you need to have loads of premises and you need to have six-figure businesses. But for quite a lot of bookkeepers, that's not necessarily the case, is it? It's about that lifestyle. Yeah, it has to be what you want it to be and that will change and evolve over time. I mean, I, you know, as you know from our discussions, I never had any intention of having an office and staff. Um, And I resisted the office for quite a while. But then I got to a point where I actually decided, well, I got offered it and an ex-client used to be in here. So the landlord offered it to me and it's a great premises with relatively low rent, particularly for this area. So, and actually I got to a point where I just had to get out of the house. It wasn't good for me because, you know, I'd go and sit, you know, we've got a dedicated study at home. We're lucky in that way. But I'd go in there to, I don't know, book cinema tickets. And next thing I know, I've been reconciling someone's accounts for an hour and a half. And you never get a break from it. No. And it's the curse and the blessing of what we do, that it can be done anywhere at any time. But that makes it a lot harder to switch off. And you do have a, a small team there. How many staff do you have? So I've got three. So I've got one full-timer. Um, and she does most of my payrolls and things. Then I've got one part-timer who um, does a lot of the bookkeeping for us. And then I also employ my eldest um, to do social media posts for me and things like that because she's far better at it than me. Um, So she does that for me and comes in when she's home and does shredding and helping out. So it's really three, but there is a fourth one um, who helps out. You said it was never really your intention to to take on members of staff. So, so what what changed that that made that move? I got to a point where it felt like it was going to start taking over. I'd just grown, and I just didn't want to do some of the adminy type jobs. So the initial person I took on was to do admin, but that didn't work out. Um, she decided she didn't want to stay with admin. It's actually, it was another military wife who'd kind of ended up in admin because that was the only job that was flexible and she was moving here permanently and realised actually she had options, which was great. And I just, so I then decided to recruit actually someone with bookkeeping experience um, to do part-time, which is when I got my first member of staff who's still with me now. And then the reason I ended up with the full-time, was I was a finalist in the Heropreneurs Military Spouse event and I met someone there who had three businesses that needed support. Um, and they just took so much of our time that there was no way I could, we could carry on doing it, just me and the part-timer. So um, I got Ali, just to confuse things, it's an Ali and an Alison, um, who who d- took on a lot of that sort of extra work. And has t- she, she's got payroll experience, so she's take, taken all the payroll off me so I don't have to think about the payrolls each month. She just does that. Um, So that's kind of, it sort of just became a necessity, really. Either I was going to have to downsize or get staff. And I decided to go with the staff route. One of the things I noticed about your business journey, and it's actually quite similar to a lot of bookkeepers, is that you go from no staff to a team of staff quite quickly. How quickly did you grow from from taking on that first member of staff to having your the second? So the first one came on in the November, 
Um, and then it was the following June that the second one came on because we'd taken on these three big clients in the February. Do you ever wish that you had started growing your team earlier? Mm-hmm. Or do you think it was just the right time for you at that point? It was the right time. I don't think I needed anybody any earlier. I think that, yeah, I don't, it, yeah, it wasn't so much that I was frantically busy. And also some of it was purely selfish. Like part of the reason I do what I do is I quite like to go on holiday and, you know, when we can again. And actually, if it's just me, I don't get to switch off when I go away. Whereas at least if there's someone who can man the emails, even if work doesn't necessarily get done, you know, they can man the emails. So if there is a crisis, they can get hold of me. Um, so it was partly that to actually just provide some continuity so I could go off for a couple of weeks and enjoy myself, not worrying that, you know, it's going to be an absolute mountain of emails or catastrophes to come back to. And it's worked really well. There, Mo- you know, there's challenges with it, as there always is. Moving from a, a sole practitioner to having a team does, as you say, bring some challenges with it. Your role almost has to change a bit. How how did that? How did your role change? It's been interesting. It didn't change that much to start with. Um, we all kind of had our bits that we did. I still do some things, like I do all the finalising and filing of VAT returns, um, just because they haven't really done it. But that's something that, you know, we're going to work on. They do all the bookkeeping predominantly up to that. What I found is it didn't change that much to start with, but this last year has made it change, um, partly because of my mindset. I think, you know, the last year, they've obviously been working from home the whole time, um, and I was to start with, but now I'm back in the office. Um, And I think the whole pandemic situation has just made everybody look at what they want to do and how they want to work. And the big clients that I talked about that drove the um, expansion of the team, we actually no longer work with two of them because they just got too big and were taking up too much of our time. And actually, we weren't being valued for what we were bringing to it. Um, And so there was a mutual decision that they should take it in-house and we would carry on. So we're now in a position where we need to fill that gap. We haven't replaced them necessarily, but I'm okay with that because it's actually freed up my time to start really properly looking at how I run it. I've been, and you know, we've had many discussions about this. I am not very good at creating processes and following them. It's not how my brain works. And so that's something I'm really working on at the moment is trying to improve that because what I want to do is be able to grow the practice but not take on any more staff. So it's all about those marginal gains and those efficiencies. And I want to make sure they're the right clients that don't cause us the amount of stress that we got with those big clients. They were just too demanding for what we could deliver. They wanted what was effectively an in-house service but didn't want to pay for it. And so... You know, they did pay us well, but they not re- didn't really. There was always an element where we felt undervalued, even though they were happy with the service. If that makes sense. One of the challenges I hear time and time again from bookkeepers who do make that move to take on staff is that managing staff can become a bit of a full time job. But that that's not something that you've you've found. No, I haven't. I mean, I genuinely feel like I've been 
incredibly lucky. They're both, I haven't had, you know, one thing I keep getting asked, and I don't know if other people have been asked this, is, oh, how have you found, you know, working remotely? Do you find, you know, do you worry that your team aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing? And I know there's all sorts of things we could have employed, like, you know, teams, so I knew if they're online or not online or whatever. But actually, I genuinely don't worry about it. They're both very diligent. They're both really good at what they do. And I know that they're doing what they need to do. I don't have any concerns. You know, if there's any inefficiencies, it's more to do with the fact they've not got a proper setup at home because we thought this was going to be temporary. I mean, luckily, I had thought, I don't know why I had, because it's not like we get loads of snow in the south of England, but I had kind of thought, oh, actually, I'm going to get them both laptops in case for some reason people can't get in the office. So we'd actually done all that prior to the pandemic. And I think it probably helps our profession that, that we made that move to the cloud a bit earlier as well. Yeah. So, you know, I don't have any worries with that. The only thing I do find, and that's not about them, it's where you're trying to bring new systems in or bring new processes in. It's actually just really hard to communicate that in a remote situation. And some things, you know, if you've got a query over something in accounts or like furlough claims have done our heads in this year, me and Ali, it's harder to do some of that remotely when you're not looking at the same thing. Yeah. Some of it is just better done together, bouncing ideas off each other in the office. So I think what we're, where we're going to get, one of them's always worked, the part-time has always worked part-time from home. Um, and I know um, Ali would like to keep working from home and I don't have a problem with that, but I think where we're going to go is we'll say we're all going to be in the office a couple of days a week so that we can bounce ideas off each other you get that interaction that you don't get remotely and it allows us to kind of, you know, put processes in place, talk about where things could be better, issues with clients. Um, but I'm quite happy for people to keep working remotely a lot of the time. We all, um, when starting a business, we all make mistakes and go around the houses and we don't always take the, the straight path to where we end up. But if you had to do it again, is there anything that you would change not just staff, but in the whole practice? Um, I think there's a few clients I probably took on and shouldn't have done, just when you're in that beginning and you don't really know what kind of client that you want. Um, I would probably change that. I may have gone to the office quicker, looking back. I mean, you know, my husband this year has said several times, why are you paying for it? Because you can work from home. But it's I need that separation. It's not good for me. Um, and I'd actually just learned to trust myself a bit better. I've, you know, I'm not, I've never worked in practice, although I've got my qualifications, a lot of it I'm self-taught and I am a catastrophizer. I will assume that the sky is going to fall and I'm going to lose my house. Um, I know I might not come across that way to a lot of people. I get accused of, you know, being confident or whatever, but I'm not, I, you know, we are all flying blind. So I think I was lucky. I found places like the alliance quite early on and you know if you haven't got that support network i think it must be horrendous but that's quite interesting because i think we probably came to practice the same way and that i i never worked in in the profession before mm. i started my practice and in some ways um in some ways i feel that was uh that held me back a bit but in other ways, I think that it, it freed me a bit because I had no preconceived notions of how things were done and how practices were run. 
do, do you think that, that you benefited from not being in practice before you started your business? Yeah, because I think, you know, there is no one to ask, so you have to learn yourself. And I am that kind of person. It is just that I, I'm, I like learning. So, you know, I'm one of those people. I mean, I remember when I started at Orange, I can remember my boss going, how do you know so much about who's who and where's everything? It's like, well, I've just made a point of, you know, there is an intranet, I've read it. You know, it's not rocket science. The information is there if people bother to look for it. So, you know, I'm that kind of person. Where I, What panics me, so I panic sometimes when I hear people talking about working papers when they've done accounts. And I think, I don't actually know what working papers are. But then actually when you get down into it, it's just, you don't really need working papers so much now when you've got cloud software because it's all being done in there. We're not doing great big extended trial balances anymore. And particularly the sort of clients that I'm working on, they're not big enough to warrant it. And so I think you can get in a panic when you've not worked, that there's some magic things that they do in practice that we don't know about. Um, but actually, they don't. A lot of it, they're just making processes that they've always followed. And do they even need those processes anymore? That's the interesting thing, because actually from about 2013, the cloud was just really starting to happen about then. Uh, so actually, a lot of what you might have done in practice before that, you would almost have to forget that to move forward. So there's perhaps a benefit of not having done it or not having known it. I mean, so much has changed with RTI and making tax digital and cloud accounting and uh, connecting bank accounts in a way that just wouldn't have happened before. No, and I find it interesting. So we do, I'll do sole trader year ends and self-assessments. I don't love self-assessments, but... Um, I've had a love-hate relationship with them and every year I say I'm not going to do them anymore and actually I've changed my mind and I am going to keep doing them, but only certain ones. But we don't do limited company year-ends and I find it fascinating when I deal with accountants what you get, particularly the bigger firms and they sent, you know, I had one and they sent me this spreadsheet of all the different bits and they wanted me to fill it all out and the answer to 90% of it is it's in the software. Like, have you even looked at the fixed assets in the balance sheet? Have you even looked at, you know, the PAYE or, you know, and I find it fascinating that, you know, they export all the data and, you know, I know they need to do that for some of their workings, but I just find it fascinating that really, particularly the bigger firms haven't got to grips with the cloud and they are still working in quite a traditional way, but with the SAP cloud software. And it, I just find it fascinating that they don't kind of move on with the times we've talked a bit about the changes that have happened in the profession since since you started what do you think the challenges that are going to face us over the next few years are likely to be um i think there's a couple i think one for practices like mine that doesn't do limited company year ends the accountancy firms are sort of fine starting to bring the bookkeeping in-house um, because I think they see it as a way of, you know, parceling it all together and having some control. You know, with most of us are bookkeepers, not because we can't do the year ends and things like that, but actually I do it because I like working on a monthly basis with the clients and I actually like being in the detail. I'm not, you know, that year end, just come and have an overview once a year doesn't interest me as much as working with them on a month by month basis. So I think there is a challenge 
But I think it will go full circle. I think people will move stuff in-house with their accountants and then realise that actually sometimes they're better off having, you know, two voices they can hear on their accounts with different perspectives. Um, making tax digital for income tax is going to be a challenge just because of the sheer volume of deadlines that are going to come flying at us. And I think you're absolutely right. Well, it's a challenge. Both of these things will create opportunity, huge opportunity in the, the profession, especially the, the bit you talk about, about the accountants taking over the bookkeeping. Um, because I, I don't want to turn it into an accountant v bookkeeper thing, but I just don't feel that when you're dealing with a larger practice, you get the same personal contact that you, you may be doing in a practice like yours. No, I think, you know, it's one of the reasons I did see somebody saying about taking it in um, in-house is because they realise that doing the work we do, you do have much more regular contact. So it provides opportunities to upsell all the sort of so-called fancy advisory stuff. Um, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. It is a challenge that, you know, I'm sort of trying to figure out the right way. You know, there are some fantastic accountancy practices I've built relationships with. Um and so, you know, and they really value the bookkeepers. We'll, we'll have a lot of people listening to this who are yet to start the practice and they'll be feeling a bit apprehensive about starting. And what, what advice would you give to somebody who's sitting there thinking, I, I don't know whether to start or, or not, or maybe just starting out and finding that they're having challenges getting clients? Getting clients is always going to be a challenge. I'm still not sure how I get clients I know that sounds a bit ridiculous but there's no real you know I, I'm not I think anyone who says they've got a full system is not necessarily telling the truth to themselves but what I would say is make sure you find some sort of support network whether that's you know the, something like the bookkeepers alliance you know that has been fantastic for me and then I've also got um, my little business buddies group which is four of us who have been members of the Alliance and we, you know, they've been a godsend through the last year. We've got a WhatsApp group and we're knee deep in a furlough calculation and can't figure out what at 10 o'clock at night, you know, you've got someone you can ask. So the main thing is to find a support network and realise we've all been there. So you might think it's a stupid question, but just ask, because we all doubt ourselves about things, especially when it seems really obvious and you kind of think that can't be right. Um, you know, and like, Things like the Alliance, I mean, like we've got Les on tap for fantastic VAT advice. And actually, just genuinely, people are really willing to help. Reach out, speak to people. I've been amazed by the amount of support you get. In theory, we're all in competition with each other, but we're not. We can all, there's enough work for all of us. And as you say, we're making tax digital and things. It's In many ways, it's only going to get more work. I can't honestly believe the builders are all going to suddenly get their act together every three months. They have enough trouble once a year. Yeah. It's interesting what you said there. Actually, when we started the Bookkeepers Alliance, that was one of the big fears is how do you take a group of people who are essentially in competition with each other and help them to work together? And I think actually when you're within that bubble, it's quite easy to think that all bookkeepers are like the Alliance bookkeepers, if that makes sense, mm. with um. And then when you go outside that, you realise that actually there is a lot of um, cutthroat stuff going on in the profession, but we seem to have managed to 
to create that community where people are happy to share and happy to pass clients between each other as well. Yeah, and that's fantastic because not every client who comes through your door is going to suit you, whether that's personality-driven or whether it's because of the type of work. And I think I often say, like, when you go to networking, I mean, I've been very lucky. Every time I've done networking, there's not actually been another bookkeeper in the room, even at ones where there could be. But it actually doesn't matter because we all do the same. But so much of what we do, particularly when we talk about people's money, is actually are you comfortable dealing with that person? And some people are going to want somebody a bit more traditional. Someone's going to want someone they're going to have, you know, certain things in common with. So I think so much of it is personality driven. It may, means there is work there for everyone, really. Yeah. You talked about uh, type of clients and I think over the, the years, if you've been in practice for a while, I think we've all had some interesting clients that we've dealt with. What's the what's this a strangest business or type of client that you've seen over the years? Um, the strangest business, well, it's not the strangest, it's fascinating, and I still work with them. It's an agricultural um, tech company. And we have some great conversations. Um, we've had conversations about the fact that um, their online portal, one of the staff members had bought three sheep through it and they were now living at that staff member's house. So was there, but the company had technically paid for them. So was there a benefit in kind to this person having three sheep in their front yard? Um, we have conversations about, and I don't know if my lad says in your podcast, so you can cut it out, um, semen because they do genetics as well. So we have conversations about the bull semen that's being sent around. Um, and they... It's fascinating to me that they're taking such a, a traditional business and basically what they've done is set up eBay for cattle. And I just find it fascinating that a business that's so traditional, you know, you had to load everything in a car and a truck and take it to the market and now they're doing it online. I think that's one of the most fascinating things about being a bookkeeper though, isn't it? You get that inside view of loads of different businesses. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's why I like it. I mean, I know we're all supposed to niche um, and I've thought about it every 10 minutes, it feels like. I've still not got there. Um, but that's okay because I think the only thing I would say is I don't have any, I've got two, I've got one flooring shop, but none of my other clients are retail or cafes or anything. They're all some sort of service-based industry. So that would be kind of where... I would say I niche. I don't deal with someone not really dealing with stock or manufacturing or anything like that. So, you know, I don't deal with that. But no, it's the great thing. People's stories and where did they get that? It fascinates me where people get these ideas from. And we have this front row seat at the, mm. as the business grows. Yeah. Yeah. And how they evolve and, you know, take opportunities or miss opportunities. You know, it's been fascinating through lockdown, the businesses that have thrived and those that haven't. You know, it's not necessarily the ones that you would expect. No, no, you're absolutely right. Alison, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. It's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure speaking to you. The Bookkeepers Alliance podcast, bringing you strategies and tactics to grow your business every week.